I'm Garrison Doctor. And I'm Corinne Doctor. And this is Fishing Stories. And this is a great follow-up, I would say, to last week and the week before with Yako. Yeah, this week we have Keith Rose Ennis of Alphonse Fishing Company in the Seychelles. And you may have heard Keith's name in the Yako episodes as... Basically, Yako is sort of like mentor who gave him the roadmap of how to get into fly fishing guiding in the Seychelles. Yeah, Yako knew Keith. They're both South African and they knew each other um, just socially and because, you know, they liked fishing. And Yako kind of asked Keith, how do I do what you do? How do I guide internationally? How do I get involved? And he followed that to a T. Absolutely. And Keith not only is... uh, with Alphonse Fishing Company, as I mentioned, but also has had an extraordinary guiding career and made some really incredible contacts throughout that guiding career. Um, So this is gonna be another two-part series. Yes. And in this episode, we're gonna talk about Tymon, the largest salmonids in the world. And Keith has tangoed with some of the largest Tymon that we know of on fly. And if you aren't sure what a timing is, or if after listening to this, you're like, I've got to get eyes on this specimen, uh, we will be putting up some photos on the Rep Your Water Instagram of Keith's giant timing in conjunction with this episode. Yeah, check those out. They're stunning to look at. Yes. And uh, without further ado, part one, Keith Rosinus. Keith, are you there? Um, yeah. Awesome. Hey, good to see you. Good to see you guys. Uh, greetings from uh, Chile, South Africa. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as you're coming into spring, we're coming into fall, so we might be almost at the same temperature. Yeah, for once, for once, uh, <laughs> normally this time of year, I'm in the Seychelles. Um, obviously, it's new times, uh, but thankfully enough, we, we should be opening up as of the 9th. So it'll be my last little stint in South Africa before I get back to heat, coconuts, and bonefish. <laughs> awesome. And rum, maybe? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, just a <laughs> bit. Yeah, I read you guys are able to open. That's such good news. Yeah, well, look, it's uh, been some trying times. It's, it's affected us quite badly. Uh, but, you know, you always look at the positives. Uh, we've, we've been closed now for uh, seven months. So those fish are going to be well rested. And uh, uh, there's uh, quite a few changes which we've, ha- we've, which we've managed to do because my staff have uh, remained on the islands. They haven't, uh, most of them haven't been able to get home. So they've uh, had an extended holiday, paid holiday on the islands. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what they've done. And hopefully yeah. there'll be some new bells and whistles, new fly, fly patterns. Awesome. Uh, the guides will be casting a little better, even though they haven't been allowed to fish. Right. Um, so it'll be nice. It'll be nice to catch up with the whole crew. Oh, yeah. I'm sure those first few weeks are going to be ones for the books. Just with a completely rested fishery, it's going to be out of this world. Yeah, generally this time of year, um, the water is a bit cooler. So it's a great time for permits. Um, And if you can get some nice sort of of stable weather, not too many systems coming through, you know, they they tend tend to eat. They don't stick the middle fin up as, as much as they normally do. They don't so, act uh, much like permit. <laughs> yeah, don't act much like permit. Yeah, well, still quite a bit like them. It's just that you get a little bit more leniency towards uh, towards eating the flour. Yeah, um, well, so, neither yeah, of us are, are permit experts, I will confess. Yeah, one one day, hopefully, <laughs> we get a couple cracks at them. Yeah, well, you can just come and see us because I promise you, 
Um, you'll get some cracks. It's just up to you to make them count as always. Uh, yeah. Right. That's right. Well, yeah, one day we do hope to see the beautiful world of, of Alphonse and the Seychelles. For sure. So speaking of, Keith, just give us a, a quick bio for our listeners here, kind of who you are, and, and uh, you're obviously based out of South Africa. Just set the stage here. Yeah, my name's obviously Keith Rose Innes. That's a Scottish name, even though I'm South African. Um, yeah, I come from a long line of uh, fly fishermen. My grandfather grew up in Scotland, was a salmon fisherman and a trout fisherman. Uh, he then left, left uh, uh, Scotland after the Second World War and moved to Rhodesia. And uh, while he was in Rhodesia, uh, he had a, a daughter, which is my mother. And uh, my father left South Africa to go and fight in the Rhodesian War. And he met my mother out there. And uh, obviously, a fishing family. I know when my grandfather was out there, he was uh, part of, a, uh, of setting up of various trout operations and obviously did a lot of uh, tiger fishing. And my dad, being a, a crazy uh, fisherman, obviously... Um, got in well with the family and from then it's uh, bloomed to us all moving back to South Africa um, a while back and uh, obviously my father and my grandfather passing the baton on to me um, being having that, that fishing drive and wanting to do it for the for the rest of their lives and so I followed in that in their footsteps or in my grandfather's footsteps more than my father my father's a businessman and uh, um, yeah being quite driven about by about what's around the next corner, uh, whether it's catching a fish or saving a destination or setting up a lodge. Um, that's, that's what drives me. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think very fortunate to be born in this time, in this, this day and age, where uh, it's become quite easy for us to explore and quite easy for us to market destinations. And more importantly, people listen to your conservation oriented stories. So yeah. from a journey, uh, um, I would say right now or the last five years has been the best, um, uh, very much so because always when we look at setting up destinations and fishing these places, we're always in the back of our minds, um, think about conservation and how are we going to keep these places the way they are for generations to come. Definitely exciting times at the moment and, and, and I think the next few years will be very exciting for everybody. Um, uh, even in these new Corona times, uh, the new the new world era, as everyone calls it, <laughs> right? But, uh, we have to keep positive, and and you know the thing is that the strong, the people that are able to keep strong and, and get through this will be a lot stronger, and there'll be more opportunities. Yeah, well, certainly speaking of exploration, you've done a lot more than the average person. <laughs> yeah, an inspiration for many. It's actually fitting. We just recorded uh, an episode which will probably have aired before this one. I would assume they might end up going back to back. Uh, with Yako, who is one of your protégés, and he was explaining to us how he came to you and was like, okay, Keith, what do I need to do? What steps do I need to take? Show me the ways. Keith so. gave him like the two-year <laughs> plan and he followed it to the T. <laughs> two-year plan and put him on the wood and said, God. Exactly. <laughs> Here you go, buddy. Make it happen. There's your boat. There's your boots. Do it. That's yeah. it. That's crazy. But I do love someone who actually follows through. They say, "Okay, this is what I want to do. How do I put in the work?" And then they actually do it. So yeah, I mean, Yako's put in the time. So um, you know, obviously, if we wind back the clock, I mean, uh, if it wasn't for Alphonse and and me being able to sort of put my roots down at a at a lodge orientated destination. I mean, I would still be living out of a bag guiding. Um, I guided for 17 years. Um, I don't guide as much anymore, but I do do 
quite a bit of it. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's an amazing experience. I mean, I'm sure Yako told you some stories about how we used to live, uh, where we used to sleep and uh, how we used to live out of a bag constantly and moving from destination to destination, no days off, uh, guiding seven days a week for five months on trot. Uh, uh, drinking as much rum as possible to sleep and, uh, <laughs> and getting up and uh, and doing the day. So it's, I mean, it's been a, a great journey. And, uh, you know, to, to spend some time with Yaku on the water, I mean, you know, he's a great guy and uh, very driven and very talented. So it's been, it's been fun. I mean, you get, you know, we've come through a lot of, a lot of periods where you get great guys like Yaku. I mean, I think the most important and the most great experience about being a guide is that you get to spend time on the water with so many wonderful, talented people, people that are as driven as you are, who've ended up in some great positions around the world. And, uh, yeah, that's what it's about. I think our, our industry is about telling stories like I am now. Uh, that's what's and the reminiscing of those fishing trips and guiding experiences, what drives us, I suppose. Yeah. Well, and it's great to hear you talk about the conservation piece as well. That's obviously something that's really important to us and, our message uh, from Rep Your Water, our brand, and something that's near and dear to our hearts personally and industry-wide and business-wide, and something that you know we've been lucky to travel a little bit more in the past five years internationally for fishing and have really begin to understand how important some of these international operations are to conservation of these places and supporting some communities as well. So really important work there, I think. Yeah, I think, I think the key to any destination is, is making sure that the destination is either, is either improving, improving uh, the fishery or the, the area from, from uh, multiple avenues, i.e. not only under the water, but also terrestrial if it can, um, but also obviously helping communities and, and educating communities um, and I think those are the fisheries or the lodges that you should be supporting, not not the short-term objectives, uh, 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 because they they generally uh, don't don't onto the they're more to the detriment of the of the destination versus uh, is beneficial. So we've come a long way, and, and I've been in that position, you know, where, uh, where you know you you didn't think of conservation, and uh, thank goodness it's come to a stage now where it's all about conservation, and we can move on. Yeah, for sure. I think a critical piece of the bio that we missed is your filmmaking, if you want to just touch on that for a moment. Well, if you can call it filmmaking, it's a bit <laughs> of a, a one-man band, uh, um, hook, and, hook and by crook kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just more passion. And the reason why I do it is to de- document these, these wonderful places that I go more than anything else. And I think that, you know, as as life passes, uh, I think it's quite nice to have something to look back at and enjoy, you know, stick it in the attic and then uh, 20 years time, pull it out and, and, and watch it again. Yeah, I think it's, uh, uh, filmmaking is obviously also a great way to try and uh, put your story out um, with regards to, to uh, uh, different experiences. Um, but for me, it's still, it's still a hobby. It's definitely not anything else. Well, we enjoy your hobby. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. We appreciate it. Well, on that note of telling stories, we're obviously here to listen to a fishing story. So, A, f- a fishing story. Okay. So I think it's best that I, I, I share the story of, of uh, Siberia and the Tugu River. Uh, when I recently went out to fish it with uh, my good friend Ilya Shermovich. Um, it's been a, uh, no, my love for Siberia has been a long one. Um, I've been going out to Siberia for many, many years. 
Um, I met Ilya Shervich in 2001 when he came to fish the Panoi River when I was, I was head guide there. And subsequent to then, he actually purchased the, the, the Panoi River and uh, they've managed to protect it beautifully and it's, uh, it's an incredible river. And every sort of uh, year or two, we'll do a special trip together. And, and this year was to be the return to Tugur, um, part number two for me. About four years earlier, uh, I'd been out there, and uh, it was a, it was an amazing trip. Uh, but I never caught a thing. <laughs> um, funny enough, between eight of us, uh, we fished for seven days, um, blisters on your fingers, cracks on your fingers, and we kept going nonstop because this just the idea of a chance of catching one of these huge monsters that live in this river um, keeps you going. Uh, I think on the second last day, um, one of our anglers got a, a fish which was mid-size for, for Tugur in, in every way. And uh, that was that. And uh, I thought, you know, deep down in my heart, I wasn't quite sure whether I wanted to come back or not. Um, having fished seven days and being um, going through all those hardships of cold weather, um, rain, snow, um, and hooky. I actually hooked, did hook one fish and it shook his head for about a minute or so, and the hook came out, and then the heartache. So I wasn't oh, quite sure if I'd like to return. Heartbreak. Uh, oh, that <laughs> is a heartbreaker for sure. One trip in that location, I mean, one fish in that location, oh man. And then add, add to that previous trips to, to Siberia where we always ended up catching Tarman, but you know, you would, you would, you would do the hours. It, was, it, was, it wasn't a seven day trip, it was a two week trip often, and you had to really put in the hours to find these fish. But, you know, when Ilya asked the question, it took me all of one second to say, yes, I'm coming. And uh, probably, <laughs> five minutes to book, yeah, probably five minutes to book my flights and, and cancel everything that I had on my schedule. And before I knew it, I was back out there. You know, after my last trip, I wasn't expecting much. I was expecting to fish hard and, and maybe get a fish, you know, and hopefully someone in the group gets a big fish. And uh, so we went out the first day and uh, – I can't recall exactly, but I think there was a, a, a decent-sized fish caught or a big-sized fish caught um, or big fish seen. Um, and then the, the next day, um, we started catching big fish. And uh, uh, Ilya got a big fish. I think he, he got two big fish. And then uh, um, I got a fish which was uh, 145 centimeters, um, which blew me away completely. Um, I didn't think that there would, there would ever be a chance of getting a time in that size. I mean, when you handle it, you realize how big it is and how difficult it is to handle them. Um, I ended up uh, doing a small swim while trying to take some photographs. Um, ended up not really even getting uh, all the great sh shots I would have wanted to um, because I'd had a lengthy uh, vodka lunch just before that. <laughs> but I was fine. I was, uh, I was happy with the experience and uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, the next day, I didn't catch a fish again, obviously, but other, other guys in the group did catch fish, all fish over, over one meter, one meter 25. And then day third, I got another big fish. Um, I think that fish was uh, 140 centimeters. Um, Give me a that, little that, conversion here. So, like, how tall are you, Keith? What's, what's 140 roughly in inches, Keith, for us? I have no idea. I'm not um, an inch guy. Well, give us, like, like, Patrick America. Give us a comparison for how tall you are. Well, I'm six foot. So, what is yeah. that in, in uh, inches? I don't have well, an inch ruler in my house. 
<laughs> how how much is that in meters and we, centimeters? We, we are centimeter, centimeter people, and I don't even know how, how tall I am in centimeters. Oh, All come I, can on. Say is <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think look, one forty centimeters is seventy eight pounds. It's 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 a monster fish. That it's, is uh, giant. And one forty five centimeters is uh, around there as well. So it's uh, very very similar. Uh, monsters. I mean, it's That's just incredible. Uh, incredibly big. Uh, it's, you know, it's. But they're very hard to handle. Uh, even even the smaller tarpon are very hard to handle. Right. So it was. It's often experienced trying to trying to just keep them keep them uh, calm and uh, and in the net. Um, all the fish which we caught, we put them in wastelings. Um, the uh, funny enough is that it's quite it's quite an experience when you catch one of these big fish. The guides are very particular in the way that they they weigh the fish. They have uh, IGFA rated scales. They have uh, really nice big carp nets. And they, they, which they're able to fit the fish inside, and then uh, lift the fish out the water for a short period while they weigh, while they weigh them. Yeah. And then what they do is they they take a, they take their, their phone and they take a picture of their left hand cheek because all the the for markings of the salmon are unique. Yeah. And then they're able to tell if that fish has ever been caught before, so they don't even have to put a tag in it or the, or, or put a track or any any kind of device uh, in that fish. And they can tell whether that fish has been caught and released before. Have you heard whether your fish, your big one, has been caught before? There was only one fish during that whole entire week that had been caught before. Wow. And, the, and, and the funny enough is that the, the, the guide recognized it before he even uh, had gone back to check his records. Wow. So, because it was quite a light fish. I didn't catch it. Someone else had caught it. But uh, um, anyway, so day, day three uh, went on and day four went on. And, you know, and I, I, by, by, by the end of the, of the trip, I'd, I'd landed three big fish. So I was over the moon. Um, that night before, I probably celebrated a bit too much and uh, ended up in, uh, having a nice banya session and, uh, and, and uh, decided that I was going to take the next day really, really, really calmly going to head out a little later because it was absolutely freezing cold and you know how, how well our South Africans deal with cold. Not so well. I, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I was on the water by probably around uh, 9-ish and then probably at the spot around 11-ish. So we arrived at the spot and, and I'd fished the, fished the spot the day before and uh, we pulled into the, the spot and there was a junction between two uh, where the river had split uh, into a deep uh, sort of swirly pool. I jumped, well, I didn't really jump out of the boat. We sat there, had coffee. We spoke a bit. Uh, my guide, Sergey, he could speak English pretty well. Uh, and he was actually, he's actually quite a, uh, quite a good photographer. I actually found out on day two. And uh, so we sat around having some coffee and talking about what an amazing trip. And uh, so I thought, okay, well, let me, let me just change my approach slightly and, uh, you know, do a little bit different to what I'd done in previous days, even though it was working. And I put a couple of flies together. Uh, flies that, that were probably uh, seven inches long, so two of those together um, to make a, probably about a 14-inch or 15-inch uh, uh, um, fly. And yeah, I put in a slightly longer leader and started fishing from just below the boat. And within, within two casts, uh, I hooked a fish that burned my fingers so badly and I ended up breaking off for some reason. It just popped me off. And... I was, I was absolutely devastated, number one, because I'd never had a fish pull that hard, uh, had a fish pull that hard this, during that week. Number two, you obviously dream about how big the fish could be. Oh, yeah. And number three, you've lost two magnificent, massive flies. So uh, uh, I went back to the boat and I, I told Sergey, but he actually saw the whole thing happen. 
And I said, you know what, the white choo choo, let's pour a small drink, vodka drink. So we uh, sat there and I went to the, we had a vodka and uh, went to the box and um, tried to come up with a combination of flies that looked very similar to the last. And you know, you, you're so relaxed, you're not thinking that there's any chance that you're going to get the same, same pull again. And anyway, so we rigged it all up and I went back down fishing and, and started the, just above the spot where I had the pull. And two casts later, I was hooked up again. And uh, um, this fish disappeared, started taking line. And uh, the fight went on and I landed it about uh, 15 minutes later. And the fish was over 130 centimeters. It was, I think it was one, it was 134 centimeters, 64 pound fish. Amazing. Mm. So now I've got four fish in a week. Four fish over 125 centimeters, which is incredible. Yeah, so it's that's 52, 52 inches, Keith. Garrison's got the converter out. There you go. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. So obviously, as, as, as you do, you go back to the boat and you celebrate with a vodka. <laughs> probably two vodkas. Quite Russian. Uh, yeah. So I've, made, I've only made four casts now, and I've, got, I've been broken off. I've got, I've got one fish. Maybe the and, most uh, efficient timing session in the history of timing fishing so far. It was incredible. And, and while, <laughs> while, while I was sitting uh, in the boat, I looked up and I looked across the pool and the pool was really glassy. It was probably, it was probably 80 meters across. And I noticed these, these, these lines uh, across the surface of the water. And I thought at first, that's wind. And uh, it's either wind or it's the vodka. Um, <laughs> and I kept watching. And the next minute, you could see the, the, the wind lines would get even, even more. And they'd become into a wake. And even though the water, the area was swirly and deep, it must have been over six foot deep. These fish were moving in the pool, and I'd never seen that before. And I looked back at the guy, and I said to Sergei, I said, Sergei, have you ever seen this before? And he said, no, he's never seen it before. So um, we sat there for probably 10 minutes just watching it. Uh, I had no, no need to go out and catch another fish. And uh, I was just enjoying, enjoying the day. You know, to, to be able to start at 11 o'clock, and it's probably around one o'clock now, and I've made four casts, and I've got, you know, now I've got a, I've got a fish. Um, it, it is incredible. So anyway, so I tied a fl- another fly, went down, made another two casts, one or two casts, hook another fish, uh, fight that fish, land it, and uh, um, I think that fish was around 135 centimeters, 136 centimeters, similar s- size to the fish before. Took the photographs and actually cut off my fly and said, right, that's enough. Uh, let's go sit at the boat, let's sit and, and relax and we can, we can go back to the camp. Um, so we sat there and we watched the pool and we watched the, these fish moving in the pool. It was incredible. I mean, seeing them, some, uh, at times you would see them head and tail. And uh, just when I thought, okay, let's, let's pack up and go, I saw this massive fish roll in the middle of the river. Could it have been the one which I hooked the first in the beginning? Uh, what should I do? Should I pack up? What am I going to feel when I leave this place if I don't make another cast? Yeah. How am I going to feel if I, if I make a cast? So eventually I said to him, okay, let's leave this area where we are. Let's go across the river to the other side. Let's type to that, that, that big uh, log on the other side and let, let's try. So we went across, we tied up, and as we stopped, the fish rolled next to the boat. We managed to get the boat to, to, to by tying the side of the boat, to the side of the boat, we managed to get it to otter out away from the bank, which, which allows me a bit of clearance to cast. 
and uh, I made a cast, and instantaneously it was it came around, and and I was onto a fish which behaved completely different to all the other fish. Ooh. It turned around and headed out of the pool, and um, so he dropped anchor, chased it across the river with the boat, and then once we were in the shallows, another boat, I got out on foot then and walked up off the fish, and fought it, and, and eventually landed the fish, and it was. 159 centimeters. Uh, you can tell me what that is in inches. 159 is six, almost 63 inches. So that's as tall as I am, 5'3". Okay. It, <laughs> it was 76 centimeters wide. Oh Ooh. my gosh. 76? So 30 inches wide. Yeah, around its good. And it weighed 100, 109 pounds. Oh my God. Is that one of the largest salmonids ever landed on fly tackle? It has to be up there. I would think one of the uh, one of the largest uh, landed on fly, um, definitely. Um, yeah. To date, on that day, but uh, um, as the story goes, I'll tell you a little later. Um, anyway, so we we uh, landed this fish, took all the photographs, we were rejoicing, cut the fly off, broke the rod down, sat there, finished the rest of the bottle of vodka, and drove home. And getting back into the camp, you know, we were so excited about this fish. Um, um, and my mind-blowing day, I mean, a day which I will never have again, ever. You know, there's no way you will ever have an experience like that again. I, I, I don't know how it's possible. To have fishing like that in, in bright sunlight, calm weather, um, so relaxed, seeing these time and hunting in the pool and to catch such big fish, um, it is amazing. It's just, it's just next level amazing. It's, it's, it, it, I don't know how it can be any better. Um, but as, as I said, we got back and uh, arrived back at, at camp and my, my um, fishing mate, my roommate, Steve Estella, the manager of Pernoy, had caught a fish of similar proportions. Ooh. The same size, uh, similar, within, within a couple of inches of each other. Oh. Massive fish. And he had caught it the top section of the river. Um, anyway, I told my story to the, to the guys uh, and, and all the guides that were there. They couldn't believe it. And, and uh, my Russian uh, uh, guide uh, backed me up because obviously, you know, uh, vodka talks. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, it was amazing. But... In leaving the place, it was it was uh, we left Ilya behind. So Ilya is obviously completely addicted to to uh, um, to fishing for for any kind of fish, and he stayed behind. And he him and he, and his his fishing buddy Max Mamayev, who's the the head guard of the Panoy River, they stayed behind, and they fished for another five days, and they basically broke most of the. Um, records which are held. They wow. broke the 20 pound, they broke the 15 pound, they broke with, uh, um, with massive fish. And uh, um, I don't know if, you, if you're able to, to read the, the, the last edition or edition before of uh, The Fly Fisherman. Um, there was a story which, which I wrote uh, about, about the, the trip. So offhand, I can't, I can't recall exactly what the, the dimensions of his fish were, Ilya's fish, but they were massive. Um, he has definitely caught the biggest salmonoid ever on fly, without doubt, without a doubt. It's now been recognized uh, by JFA. Um, all the fish are obviously uh, weighed in the same slings, slings and released. And, uh, yeah, but just a, lo- a lovely story to, to, to cap it all off with. I mean, the amount of times that, that we had been to this place or combination of Ilya and ourselves, 
with the amount of anglers to hit uh, and have no success in previous trips and all of a sudden they have a, have a trip like this where the stars just align and, uh, and, and it's amazing. But I'm not sure, you know, the story, the story uh, goes on to, it, it could be a combination of now that the whole area is protected. Um, there is a gentleman called Abramov, um, a Russian gentleman who owns the whole area and he's, he's uh, spent significant amount of money in protecting it. And uh, there is, there is uh, uh, an NGO that's involved um, and uh, it's now protected. So, uh, incredible story, incredible place. Yeah. And mind blowing. And for those fish to have a stronghold in that river. I mean, I don't know a ton about timing, but I know they are very long lived, very long lived fish. I mean, how old do you think that, you know, some of those bigger fish could be, Keith? Yeah, those, I mean, those fish, I mean, I, I, would, I would say well over 50 years. I mean, right. uh, if you had to really get a scientist on board, yeah, I'm sure he'll be able to give you all the, all, all, all the ages. But I know for a fact that it's, it's the oldest living, living salmonoid. Um, they are slow growing, extremely slow growing. Right. And if you remove a fish from the system, I mean, you, you will decimate that system without a doubt. So the conservation for, for this kind of species is more important than most. Right. Um, so if, if, if there's any way of getting involved in the support of conservation for um, time and any kind of time, and, uh, it's a well worth uh, a fight. There's no a fight well worth uh, supporting. Yeah, that's Absolutely. so cool. They're sort of the definition of an apex predator, you know, a long lived um, predator that, you know, they, if you, like you said, if you take a few individuals out of the system, um, it just takes so much time to replace the reproductive potential of those individuals because that lifespan is so huge and they're so slow growing. Yeah. The, the, the thing is that they're easy to target as well. So they live in, they live in uh, shallow water um, you know, they're obviously stuck in, in rivers and they often they often migrate up to very, very shallow rivers where you could actually see them in the shallows. So it's quite easy to, to, to target these species of fish. I mean, obviously, a net across a river would completely decimate an entire population. Right. And they're also, they're also quite social in the sense where if you catch one, you're going to catch numerous. So I suspect that it would be quite easy to make a big dent in that, that fish population uh, for that particular river. You know, over the years, as we fished for them, uh, we've realized that you know, they do very much turn themselves on and off when they're feeding. <laughs> so it's hard to tell exactly how big the population is. But once you do find a group of fish, you generally will catch more. So whether it's a, a matter of them moving around and all uh, being in that stretch of river or whether they're turning themselves on and off, I, I can't tell. But there's some interesting stuff coming out now, scientific work that's been going on um, in various different places that's really interesting to read about how all these salmonoids are. And, uh Yeah. That's fascinating. I was always under the impression um, that these were like solitary, really spread out predators. You know, you had to cover a lot of water and there'd be like, you know, one big one in a huge stretch and that's it. So hearing you talk about, you know, them being in these kind of groups is really interesting. Yeah, I think, I think once they, when they spread out, when the river is maybe in, in, in has a bit of level or high level, I think once they spread out throughout the system, they're probably more independent. Um, but I think there becomes a stage pre-spawn uh, or pre when they start moving into their spawning areas where they congregate sure. in areas where there is 
uh, fish to feed on. So the Tugu River, um, they obviously, um, they, well, sorry, the Tugu River, they definitely congregate to feed on the Keta salmon that are there. And I know for a fact the reason why we couldn't catch them the last time we were there is that the Keta was already in the system and mm. they had obviously gorged themselves you know, yeah. and were basically bursting and just sitting on the bottom of the river uh, doing nothing. And uh, so I think, you know, the beauty about fishing for, for timing is that it, it's not a given. You're not going to always catch them. You know, you can go to the best river and uh, at the right time and you, you cannot catch them. Like I've experienced numerous times. Um, that's the beauty of them. So, uh, you know, if, 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 if someone had to go to the Tugu, there's no guarantee that you're going to catch a fish. Right. Well, we call that the uh, zero or hero mission. You're either going to get zero or you're the hero. And Garrison has more patience for that kind of mission than I do. I mean, it just makes it so <laughs> sweet if you do come tight on one. It just, I can only imagine. What are you throwing for these things, Keith? Are you on a 12 weight? Are you throwing a single hand, a double hand? What's your setup? Yeah, I mean, it, it's about covering water. Unfortunately, it's not about finesse. So 15-foot rod, uh, at least a 12 weight. Casting a shooting head sinking sink, sink tip um, as far as you can, if you can cover the river, and then as big a fly as you can handle. Um, yeah. The size of the fly does make a difference, without a doubt. Um, the color, not so much so, but the size definitely makes, and also the weight of the fly. So you, you need to obviously judge where those fish are going to be feeding. Um, sometimes they're obviously feeding on the surface, but most, a lot of the time they're feeding down deep. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a lot of chuck and duck as we call it. Yeah. Um, well, that's yeah. one of the only fish in the world that could actually put a bend in a 15 foot 12 weight. So yeah, they do. It's uh, I think, you know, um, from a fighting perspective, uh, time are definitely not the best fighters. Uh, you, you know, you are fighting an old grandfather there. So uh, <laughs> they generally shake their heads a lot and do a couple of rolls and then uh, move to the side of the river. Um, but if they, if they did use their body and uh, if they do use their body and turn sideways, they can take quite a bit of string for a, for a long period of time. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. I love it. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, yeah, I remember seeing some of the photos from that trip and I was like, I need to know more about this. Just <laughs> mind-blowing. They're such cool-looking fish too. They have that like kind of flatter head than other salmonids and – like the beautiful red and gray, like in theory, they're not all that colorful, but when you see those detailed shots, they're beautiful fish. Yeah, I think it depends on what, what uh, stage you catch them at. Uh, a lot of fish look different. Some of them are a lot more red. Uh, some of them uh, generally are, are quite a bit uh, more silver. There's obviously various different species of, of, of uh, timon. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, this particular species of of, of timon in, in the in the tugur has got an incredibly big head and yeah. incredibly big belly, and it's really wide um, because they are so old and because they are feeding on the keta, and obviously they're eating a lot of a lot of uh, fish. But they, uh, the, 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 those fish, I mean, they, their heads are the same size as mine. Um, so they they and I've got a big head. So <laughs> <laughs> no big head. that's awesome. And as we warned you, we are going to make this a two-part episode. So tune in next week when we chat more with Keith about 
early days at the Seychelles. You definitely don't want to miss it. And thank you to anyone who tried to listen to this episode before we got the file going that has all of the audio instead of just the first 25 minutes. So we appreciate you sticking with us. We appreciate the support. Fishing Stories is brought to you by Rep Your Water and Lock and Co. Whiskey. If you have any fishing stories of your own, comments, questions, feel free to shoot us an email at tellusafishingstory at gmail.com. Until next week. <laughs>